subscribe to Tripod Talk Radio for conversations with veterinarians, oncologists, rehab therapists, and other experts discussing amputation for dogs and cats. Find more info, helpful care tips, and a free gift at tripods.com slash radio. He's got a few miles left, knock on wood. He's a three-legged dog, but he's still getting Thank you for tuning in to Tripod Talk Radio, where we're spreading the word that it's better to hop on three legs than limp on four. Hosted by Jim and Renee and Wyatt Ray of the Tripods Blogs community at tripods.com. Jerry's Place for canine amputees and their people. Oh, that's silly, Jerry. Hello, and thank you for listening. This is Tripod Talk Radio, and today is Tuesday, January 9th, 2018. We are very excited to have Dr. Sarah Boston joining us again from her 404 Veterinary Emergency and Referral Hospital in Newmarket, Ontario, Canada, because on this show, we will discuss a new limb salvage procedure developed by Dr. Boston. We're going to learn all about the Bostonplasty, Limb Salvage Procedure for Dogs with Bone Cancer, or as Dr. Boston recently published, Limb Shortening as a Strategy for Limb Sparing Treatment of Appendicular Osteosarcoma of the Distal Radius in a Dog. In other words, if you're facing an osteosarcoma diagnosis for your dog or you are a veterinarian interested in this new treatment option, you'll want to keep listening. Obviously, we have a lot to cover, so let's welcome Dr. Boston to the show. Thank you for joining us once again, Dr. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Hey, Dr. Boston, it's Renee here. I am thrilled to have you. I cannot wait to hear all about this new procedure. Thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. I'm, I'm really happy to be talking to you and talking to all the, the TriPads community. Yeah, yeah, and, and so let's get started. We are just strictly going to talk about your procedure today because this is so exciting. It's, it's so nice to have a, a new option um, when you're given that bad news that, that your dog has osteosarcoma. And um, we can't thank you enough for all the hard work that you've put into making this happen. Um, can, you, can you give us some background? Tell us about limb salvage in general. Let's, let's talk about that for a minute. It's been around for a while, but um, we, we don't often have very many members who run with it because it's, uh, I don't know, it, it's just it's a big big decision. So um, tell us more, like when was it invented and, and uh, all that good background information? Sure. So limb salvage, it tends to be um, for a procedure that's treating the distal radius. If we're talking about surgical limb salvage, um, there, are, mm-hmm. there are other areas where we can do surgery, but, that, but typically when we're talking about surgical limb salvage, we're talking about the distal radius. And, and that's also the most common site for osteosarcoma. A lot of your listeners probably know that. Um, it was first reported in 1989 at OCSU, Dr. Withrow, um, who I was very lucky to have him as one of my mentors when I did my fellowship at, at CSU. And, and again, you guys probably all know this, he's a, a really amazing man, and he really was what got this started um, in veterinary medicine, and, and a lot of his work also has contributed to limb salvage in, in uh, people with osteosarcoma. Mm-hmm. So just an amazing figure in, in uh, my career and a lot of people's career who, who work with osteosarcoma and, and surgical oncology. When it was first reported in 1989, um, this was a procedure where the distal radius and potentially the ulna, if it was involved, was removed, and it was replaced with an allograft, so a, a 
bone that came from a bone bank. And at CSU, they had a bone bank that was um, created um, by people who had donated their dogs after they'd passed away. And so there was a, a big bank there of frozen bones, and you could go and match the distal radius of your patient to the bank and use that allograft. Um, and then something that's really interesting that's happened, you know, since 1989 is just this evolution of varying techniques on the original traditional limb salvage technique. And so all of the surgical techniques start out by removing the distal radius. That's kind of the one thing they have all in common. And then different uh, surgical oncologists with, with different ideas on how to improve upon the technique have, have sort of put their own spin on it. So, um, uh, Dr. Earhart developed bone transport osteogenesis, which is um, a way of lengthening the bone. So there's a defect there, and the bone is lengthened, and as it's lengthened, new bone uh, develops behind that. Um, it's a pretty amazing mm-hmm. technique. It's, it is also used in humans. Um, one of the, the deficits of the technique is it just takes a long time, and I'm sure your listeners know this if they're dealing with managing osteosarcoma. It's just an exhausting process for everybody, and so... Um, having a technique where you have to do something with your dog every single day and maybe have to go into the vet clinic very frequently, um, it just can be challenging for a lot of people, and, and uh, it's already yeah. quite challenging. And so that's really the only negative of that technique. It's a pretty amazing technique, um, but it just it's a long time with a device on the outside of the dog. They have an external fixator, and it's just oh. a, lot of, a lot of management and a lot of work. Um, there's also um, techniques bringing in on the bone, either from the same leg or from the other leg and also doing microvascular work. So actually taking live bone from the other side and then kind of hooking it up to blood vessels in the, in the limb where you're bringing in that on the bone um, so that you're bringing in live bone. And a lot of that work has been done to try to get over the biggest hurdle that we have with limb salvage in dogs. And that's that the infection rate is so high. Um, and so when we're putting in these big pieces of dead bone or a big prosthesis, we end up with a really high risk of infection. And also at that site, there's not a lot of coverage of soft tissue. And I think that's where we get into trouble. We don't have a lot of vascularized tissue there. And then we also are putting in a really big implant. And so the most common technique you'll hear about when you hear about surgical limb salvage is what we call the endoprosthesis. And that was developed by another colleague, uh, Charles Kuntz, who practices in Australia. And he's, he's absolutely brilliant. Um, and he sort of came to, you know, when he was practicing, he didn't have a bone bank and he kind of realized that, you know, because unfortunately these dogs, they don't live for 10 years beyond their osteosarcoma. So they're not going to replace that dead bone or that allograft bone with new bone in their lifetime. And so Mm -hmm. he developed a prosthesis. And so what you'll, you know, if people Google limb salvage distal radius, they'll probably find a lot of pictures of radiographs or x-rays or a, a metal prosthesis. That's replacing yeah. that defect in the, in the distorted. So that's kind of right now probably the most common surgical technique that we have. And then I'm not going to talk about this too much, but the other technique, which is kind of relatively new that you'll, you'll hear about, is the stereotactic radiosurgery, so giving a high dose of radiation to the bone um, and not doing surgery. Um, mm-hmm. And that's also an amazing technique. It's becoming more and more available. The, the problem with that technique is... Um, it's a really high rate of fracture. So it depends where you read, but between 30 to 60% of those dogs will develop a pathologic fracture. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, so every new technique is trying to overcome the 
the high complication rate um, that we see with this technique. Mm -hmm. So trying to overcome the fracture, try to overcome the surgery, try to overcome the infection. So everyone is working um, well together and separately. You know, everyone, we want to solve this problem together as a community, but everyone's kind of got their own spin on it. And so I guess I have mine too. So something that I've been working on is, is, you know, a little bit different, a way to try to overcome, overcome the complications that we're seeing. Yeah, um, I, I can see why it's, you know, a lot of people decide to opt out because not only are you dealing with this huge process, you're also dealing with a timeline that, that can be really quick. I mean, you're working against the clock with osteosarcoma a lot of the time, and um, it just it seems like an overwhelming thing for pet parents to consider. So, you know, I, I, the stereotactic is, is a new one, and... Um, just real briefly, what, what does that do? Does it actually blast at the tumor? Is that like it kind of eats that away so they can Yeah, so it's, a, it's, it's radiation, and it's given um, the kind of the typical radiation, which is usually given in 18 to 20 fractions every single day, well, Monday through Friday, just like in people. Mm-hmm. Um, that does not seem to be particularly effective for dogs with osteosarcoma. Mm-hmm. Giving a high dose does actually seem to be quite effective, and so... As this new technology has become available to us in veterinary medicine, it's been possible at certain centers, and there's more and more all the time. So, you know, there are probably people who are listening who want us for their dog. There probably is someone relatively close that they could go to to have this procedure. Um, and it's a, it's a high dose of radiation. It's typically, typically given in three doses, but, you know, different radiation oncologists will have different protocols, anywhere between one and five doses. But because of the technology we have available now, you can give a very, very high dose of radiation, but it can be conformed to just the bone tumor and not affect the skin and the surrounding tissues. Um, so mm-hmm. it, it is truly amazing. It's a wonderful treatment. It seems to be as effective from a survival perspective as a limb amputation and chemotherapy. So, you know, people can expect mm-hmm. a similar survival time. Um, the, and there's no surgery. So that's, you know, I, I'm a surgeon and I hate saying that that's an advantage, but for a lot of yeah, people, that is yeah. an advantage. They don't, they don't want their dog to have to have a surgery. They don't want their dog to have an amputation. So that's the, those are the advantages. The negative is that it's, it's quite expensive. Um, again, it would depend on the center, but it would be in the, in the six to $8,000 range to have that treatment for your pet. Um, mm-hmm. That doesn't include the staging and the, and the chemotherapy. Um, and then the, the other hurdle, which um, is something else that uh, we just published on this this year as well, trying to overcome that is the, the high fracture rate. And um, we actually looked at trying to prophylactically uh, plate these, so to, to put a bone plate on to try to prevent oh. the dogs that were looked like they were going to fracture. Sounds like, a, <laughs> sounds like a good idea, but in our, um, in our paper that we just published, the complication rate was 88%. Um, oh, wow. And so, yeah, so based on that, we're not, you know, I don't recommend that. I don't recommend that people do that. I think that we need to find another mm-hmm. option if, um, you know, it, it doesn't look like that is going to be a strategy that's going to work. But again, with all of these limb salvage techniques, it's a little bit of a work in progress in trying to figure this out and figure out what's going to work for these, for these dogs. Um, but unfortunately, if, if you have a case that looks like it might fracture, and we don't have a perfect way to, to know this, but there's a lot of people working on that, trying to develop an algorithm to look at the CT ahead of time and say, is this dog at, at risk for having a fracture if I do mm-hmm. stereotactic radiosurgery? The dogs that look like they're at higher risk for fracture 
putting a prophylactic bone plate on, that's not something I would recommend based on what we, you know, what we, what we just published. It looks like that those dogs are going to have problems, uh, you know, infection, um, is a, is another problem that they can have because you're opening up the leg and then you're giving a high dose of radiation and it's dead bone, um, or they can fail, uh, that they, they can, they can still go on and fracture. And so we, in our study, we found that that's just not probably not going to be in that dog's best interest. And as you just said, unfortunately, we don't have a cure for osteosarcoma and these dogs are mm-hmm. on a timeline and really our goal should be to get them out of pain, have, have them have a really good quality of life for as much time as we can. Um, you know, and so it's easy to get caught up in all the fancy things we can do surgically and, and try to save a leg. And I think it's wonderful. I love doing it, but ultimately if these dogs can be happy on three legs, it's, it is probably the best thing for them. And really limb salvage should be for dogs that we don't think will manage on three legs that are giant breeds, um, mm-hmm. dogs who have multiple other problems, orthopedic problems or neurologic problems. Dogs that won't walk on, <laughs> won't walk on three legs because a lot of these dogs are really painful. And so if they are refusing to walk with a, with a bone tumor on their other three legs, then we really have to think about, okay, how, how are we going to manage this patient? How are they going to do? But, but ultimately, and I know this is what, you know, your organization, your organization does a wonderful job educating people, but if these dogs can be happy on three legs, that is going to be the best thing for them to get them out of pain quickly and, and have a low complication rate and just let them enjoy the time that they have. That's, that's really, really good to hear. Um, thank you for that because, you know, that there are a lot of options out there and, and we do see a lot of, um, a lot of giant breeds, um, do really well on three legs. Um, but, but again, yeah, there are, there are some giant breeds that have other arthritis issues, you know, any kind of orthopedic challenges. And, um, for our mem- members who are listening, we do have uh, a story about Hazel, the Great Dane, who recently underwent the, uh, stereotactic, uh, radio surgery process and, and chemotherapy. And her story is featured in the Tripods News blog. So we'll, we'll definitely, uh, include that in this, this blog post. Um, she did not fracture. She did, um, she did develop METs rather quickly after. So, um, so that's not how that story ended, but let's, let's talk about now. So all these things that, that weigh into the, the limb salvage that that's been happening through the years, why did you decide to come up with, with a new one? Um, how, what, was there a certain patient that inspired you to, to give it a try? Um, tell us more about what your thinking was when you decided to go for it. Yeah, well, I was involved in a study. It was a, our, our group, the Veterinary Society of Surgical Oncology. We did a retrospective study looking at our endoprosthesis limb spare, and, and we were actually trying to compare the older generation and the newer generation. That was the whole point of the study. But in the end, our complication rate was so high that we couldn't do that. But the overall complication rate was 95%, and the major complication rate was 65% in that study. And, you know, that mm. is very striking. That's really hard to tell an owner that and say, let's do this. <laughs> um, yeah. You yeah. know, these are expensive procedures. It's a lot for the dog to go through. I guess most importantly, it's a lot for the owner to go through almost as importantly. And, you know, I was starting to feel like this was really hard for me to strongly recommend this to people. And again, I, I reserve it for the dogs that I really feel that they really need to have four legs. Um, and, you know, we have talked a little bit. I've done a couple of partial amputations, so just removing the, the lower or the distal part of the of the limb and trying to fit them with an exoprosthesis. Um, I'd love to hear what your uh, listeners think, but in my hands, I haven't been really happy with that. Fitting a prosthesis on a stump of a limb and a dog 
they can get sores. They don't like it. I find that they don't use it. A lot of them will just pick up <laughs> their leg with mm-hmm. a prosthesis on it and walk on three. And so I, and, and that may just be my experience. Other people, I know people are working really hard on this. So, um, you know, definitely if people don't have that experience, I'd love to hear that. Um, but that's just, so that was kind of what my evolution and my thinking about this. Um, at the same time, we were trying to do the bone plating and the stereotactic radiation dogs. That, that seemed not a good idea either. And um, when I was at the University of Florida, I was really fortunate because I was able to spend some time with the, the human orthopedic oncologists and um, actually watch a procedure on a, a 10-year-old boy with osteosarcoma called a rotation plasty. And that's a procedure they do for children with bone tumors in their femur bone, so they're right beside their knee. Um, and they actually remove the soft tissues around the knee and they remove the, the femur bone and the top of the tibia bone, but they preserve the foot and they preserve the nerves and the blood vessels going to the foot. And then I don't know if you've heard about this before, it's called a rotation plastic. They actually rotate the foot 180 degrees and they put a bone plate on that from the femur to the tibia bone and the, the ankle joint becomes like a knee joint. Um, yes, not to, I I am going to interrupt because, um, we actually did meet a childhood osteosarcoma survivor who had that procedure done and he is actually a really big supporter of tripods. Um, his name is Ben from the, um, Hero Brace, uh, manufacturer, uh, company. He's, um, yeah, he actually went on and and developed a, a prosthetics company for, for humans and now pets. But he, he is a, a survivor, and he did have that, and he showed it to us um, last year, and it just blew our minds. So I, I know exactly what you're talking about. This is really fascinating. Yeah, if you see, I mean, if you see pictures of it, it is kind of mind-blowing, but the reason behind this procedure, which is, you know, it looks crazy, um, but the reason behind it is that it's much easier to fit a prosthesis on a foot, and, a, and it's the ankle joint, but it, comes, it becomes a knee joint. It's much easier for to build a prosthesis around that. Because, you know, your foot is designed to have pressure on it. Um, your, a stump is not. And so these kids would have ended up potentially with an above-the-knee amputation. Mm-hmm. But because of the rotation plasty, they end up with, um, you know, kind of this, I guess, kind of crazy-looking thing. But they can have a really nice yeah. prosthesis that's fitted very well. And I'm definitely not an expert on that at all. But it definitely inspired me because I thought, well, I wonder, could we do that with a dog? Um, and so the procedure that I have worked on is, essentially doing this, that. So every, every limb salvage procedure starts with taking out the distal radius and then replacing it with something. Um, this procedure is instead of replacing it, what if we just shorten the leg? What if we just basically did what's called an arthrodesis and instead of putting something in there that's probably going to get infected, we just shorten it and put a bone plate along all the way down to the, what are called their metacarpals, the, the bones of the foot, to the remaining part of the distal radius. And then I let that heal. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the potential advantages of this are you're not putting in what's called a mega prosthesis. You're just putting in a bone plate. So hopefully the infection rate for this would be similar to what we see for arthrodesis. We do arthrodesis, which is just fusing the joint. Um, we do that fairly frequently for dogs that, you know, not dogs with tumors, but dogs that have injured their wrist. So there's a lot uh-huh. of times dogs that have jumped off something that's too high and they've damaged their ligaments in their wrist. And sometimes we can't repair that. And so we treat those dogs with what's called an arthrodesis, just basically putting a bone plate across their wrist and letting those, all those little bones fuse. And we know dogs can tolerate that. That's something that in general they can tolerate. 
Um, it's not a perfect procedure, but the complication rate, especially if you're comparing it to limb salvage, it's relatively low. Um, and then the other thing that we know from our veterinary literature is that dogs can actually tolerate some discrepancy in their limb length. And it depends where you read, but about 20%, they can just deal with that. They wow. can, you know, their other leg, they'll just extend those joints more um, and they can manage with that. And so I guess my thinking was like, why are we trying to make these dogs perfect? You know, <laughs> they don't need mm-hmm. that. They just need to be functional and pain-free um, and really they can actually tolerate some limb length discrepancy. And then this may be hard to visualize because this is radio, but um, if you look at a dog who's standing and you look at their wrist joint, it's not 180 degrees. It's, there's usually some um, bending or, you know, some extension of that joint. And in a normal dog, it's around 10 or 15 degrees. Most of these dogs actually have more because they're older. <laughs> and we can uh-huh. kind of use that to our advantage. So if you imagine that they're standing in their, on their good leg that's not had surgery, and that leg has some hyperextension, maybe 15 to 20 degrees, and then the leg that's had surgery, we make it completely straight. Now you kind of have to hold one hand out with your wrist straight and the other hand out with your wrist extended a little bit. That actually mm-hmm. takes out, a few, it, that can take out a couple centimeters of limb length discrepancy. Um, and then they, their shoulder joint is so loose, they can actually kind of adjust. And so um, I should say, I've only done this procedure once. It's a case report. I'm hoping to do more. But mm-hmm. when um, our patient was lying on her side, she had, you know, about six centimeters in discrepancy in length. When she was standing up, you couldn't really see it. It was like, wow. You know, I never tired of looking at her like that because it was almost like a magic trick. But when she stood, she could kind of manage it. Now, we did make her a prosthesis with a little bit of a lift in it, but um, it wasn't two centimeters that we need, or it wasn't six centimeters, sorry, that we needed. It was only about two centimeters because she was dealing with most of it herself. Um, and so that's the hope of the procedure is that you would create a limb that is shortened. Um, but a prosthesis, now, again, this is not my area. Ben might have something to say about this. I'd love to meet him, but, um, it's so much easier to make a prosthesis over a joint and on a foot. So, Mm -hmm. um, if you, if, if the limb length discrepancy is enough that it's causing the patient not to be walking very well or not to be enjoying life as much, um, we can make, we can get one of those prostheses made, but I think it would be much better tolerated. It was in our patient than just trying to fit it over a stump because, you know, the foot pads are made to deal with pressure on them. There's there's no other tissue in the body that can do that. So that's essentially the idea behind it. Um, It's one case report. Um, There is one surgeon in Australia um, who uh, is wonderful, and he he read the case report, and he did a case in a Mastiff, and mm-hmm. and she's done just great. Um, he posted that on his on his Facebook site. And I should mention, there's actually another surgeon. This is kind of what happens when you start presenting work and you know talking at meetings with people. But there is another surgeon um, named Sean Murphy who's in Idaho, and he actually did this procedure a couple years ago, and um, he had good uh-huh. success. And he actually the leg was quite a bit shortened. Now he didn't publish it, and so it wasn't until my meeting, um, our surgery meeting in October. I was presenting this as a poster, and, and I got to meet him. Um, mm-hmm. Really lovely guy, really good orthopedic surgeon, and we're going to try to work together going forward to develop this technique. Um, oh, Because we, we need to do more cases, and um, limb salvage isn't that common. I think that's probably a good thing, but we need, you know, we need like 20 cases to, to know if this is really going to be a good technique uh, for our patients. Mm-hmm. I, I believe it is. I honestly do, um, but... Every new, new limb salvage technique that comes out, and I've been involved in a few of these now, 
there's always a bit of a honeymoon period. <laughs> ah, <laughs> Which might be okay. where I am right now. There, there is. There is just sort of think, okay, we're we're because everyone is trying to overcome a problem every single time. So the radiation was trying to overcome a problem. Um, they're all trying to overcome something that you know that's a, a deficit in the technique. I really hope this is going to do it, and I also mm-hmm. really hope it makes it more accessible. I think it should take some of the mystery out of limb salvage um, as far as, you know, this is essentially an arthrodesis. And, and, you know, there's a lot of boarded surgeons out there who do, do carpal arthrodesis all the time. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so my hope is that this would make this technique also uh, more simplified and also more accessible to, you know, more surgeons and more dogs uh, for, for the dogs that do need it. Yeah, in fact, I was going to ask you about that because, um, you know, you're one of, how many veterinary oncology, oncology surgeons are there? How many boarded? Do you know? So I know there aren't our very system, many. Yeah, our system is um, through the, the ACVS or the American College of Veterinary Surgeons. Um, so we're, we're now recognized through our college. So if you're a board certified surgeon with the ACVS, um, and you have done additional fellowship training, um, you are now a, a founding fellow or a fellow of surgical oncology. And that's just within the ACVS. There are surgeons who are boarded with the European College um, or the Australian College who have done fellowship training, but mm-hmm. they, their colleges don't have a specific categorization for surgical oncology. But there's around wow. 50. There's around 50 uh, wow. people that have done additional training in surgical oncology. There's also boarded surgeons who do a lot of cancer surgery. So it's not to say just because you don't have that qualification that you can't do cancer surgery. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So, but you probably, you know, you definitely want to talk to someone who has a strong interest or has some experience in doing um, surgical oncology. So, but if you're specifically looking for that qualification, you can find that on the American College of Veterinary Surgeons website. Um, it's only been around since 2012. So, um, okay. I was grandfathered into that system, um, and now our new fellows that are being trained are, are part of that system. So every year there's two or three more surgical oncologists that are being trained. Yeah, well, that's good to hear, and, and we'll definitely include a, a link to their website. Um, so, but, but this process, I mean, it could, it could go into, you know, a regular boarded orthopedic surgeon may be able to do this someday. So it won't be so hard for say somebody in the middle of the country who doesn't have access to, you know, humongous referral clinics to, um, to be able to have this done. I mean, it would be really cool if more people had the ability. It, It just seems so simple. I mean, like, why <laughs> I can't believe that you know this hasn't happened sooner. This is great. Yeah, I have to when I like you know you sort of have a moment where you come up with an idea, and I couldn't sleep. <laughs> yeah, it's like because I was bulb. so excited. Whoa. I was like, I need to do this like right now. You know, it's just so I was so excited. I think this might be the answer, and then it, it was a real joy to see our first patient and see how she did. And and now I will say. Definitely the paper came out in veterinary surgery in November. Um, it wasn't perfect. We did have some complications, but it seemed like we were able to manage them, if that makes sense. Like some of the limb spur complications we have are so catastrophic that they result in a limb amputation. And, and really yeah. anyone considering limb salvage needs to know that, you know, and, and I'm, I'm pretty honest with my clients about, you know, well, really everything, but that in particular, you know, like it, it is, expensive, it's time-consuming, and about 20% to 25% of limb salvage procedures will result in an amputation. Um, mm-hmm. 
So that is a lot, you know, that's a lot um, to, to take on. Um, it's a lot to take on time-wise, emotionally, financially. There's just a lot going on there as far as managing everything. And also, um, if you're having limb spare complications, it can delay chemotherapy, which is not good. You know, we sort of want to get these dogs yeah. to surgery and then get them out of pain and then get their chemotherapy started. Because, um, you know, as um, you know, everyone knows this, but that, that's where we're going to lose is, is the metastatic disease. So, um, you know, it's upsetting for me and I know for the owner if we have a dog that we can't get their chemo going because we're dealing mm-hmm. with an infection or a complication. So... So what, did you see any, any kind of infection with, with this, this case that you did? I mean, what Our patient the, did have a, she did have an infection, but we were able to clear it, um, which I oh, think is the wow. difference. So the, the mega prosthesis and the allograft infections that I've dealt with, they, they never clear. And the owner uh-huh. either has to amputate the leg or we just are looking at a plate. I mean, it's crazy, but you're just looking at a bone plate through the dog's <laughs> skin and the owner's bandaging it. Um, I don't know how some of these owners handle that i mean they usually do um they're amazing Mm -hmm. but that's a lot i mean that's just a lot to to deal with um and you know again it's not all about money but if you have a dog that's really big who's on antibiotics like batrol all the time i mean it's so much money so all that needs to be kind of considered people who are considering going down the path of a limb salvage it's you know i feel like i'm like saying this is a great procedure and then promptly talking everyone out of it but it's not just with the quote of what the procedure is. There's other costs mm-hmm. that come in. Um, so it's really important that people are kind of ready for that. And I, when I am managing an osteosarcoma case, whether it's an amputation or a limb salvage or a radiation case, I usually will put the quote for everything to clients, all the chemo, all the, all the chest x-rays, everything. Um, and the reason I do that is not to scare them away, but... I, I think when people are kind of caught up in their dog having bone cancer, they're just they're not thinking ahead, and I think you have to budget for the entire treatment. Um, absolutely, absolutely. So you know, because otherwise you just get in the middle of it, and you've spent six thousand dollars, and all of a sudden you got to start your chemo, and your your visa bills are coming in, and and it's you're kind of coming down from the initial treatment, and so I think it's important to think about all of that at the beginning before you start. We we do too. We get a lot of members who join us, and they they are apologetic about even thinking about the money factor in in treating their animals. And and we're like, don't apologize. That is, uh, you need to do that. You need to think ahead because it's going to be expensive no matter what you do. I mean, you know, even an amputation is is not cheap these days. So no, um, absolutely. I mean, I, I wish no one. <laughs> I wish everyone had insurance, and and I never had to have a yes. conversation about money. I mean, that would be like my fantasy job, but um, that's not where we are. And and unfortunately, a lot of people learn about pet insurance because they're going through an expensive treatment with their pet, and that mm-hmm. might be helpful for their next pet, but it's not helpful in that situation. And so um, we have to talk about it, you know. And, and uh, it's it's. I don't think it's any veterinarian's favorite part about their job is managing that and if you're dealing with money and complications at the same time it's it's even worse i mean it's just it it feels terrible but um you know trying to have people as prepared as they can be up front is i think the best the best way to go and then we just we work together and and do whatever is best for the patient yep yep I, I, I love that, that you just do all of this for for your patients um speaking of insurance um would insurance, I mean, and I know this varies from company to company, but in general, do pet insurance companies cover 
procedures like this? I mean, would it be considered experimental as it would like in human medicine? Or what do you think the odds are that it, it, it could be covered by somebody's? Um, I think, you know, because it's a published technique, I think it would be covered. Lymph salvage tends to be covered. Um, stereotactic radiosurgery tends to be covered. I think where uh-huh. people need to kind of look at the fine print is, um, and I hate it when this happened, people who have had insurance for their dog's whole life, and then it's really not very good insurance. And mm-hmm. I, I, where it gets really tricky, um, and I'm not an expert on insurance, but where it gets really tricky is people who get insurance and it covers just only a certain amount per condition. I don't think that's the best insurance. And the reason I say that is, um, again, it depends on your financial situation, but if they're only going to pay $2,500 per condition, most people can save that much money or have that money ready for their dog. Mm-hmm. If it's, but that's not what osteosarcoma costs, you know, and, and so these people who paid all this money for their whole dog's life. And then they say, well, I've got insurance. I'm like, oh, it's going to cover staging and a bit of your amputation, but that's it. Yeah. I mean, that's heartbreaking for me. I, I, I find that so upsetting. So you really want to look at an insurance that, that doesn't have a cap that maybe pays like a percentage. And then that's, you know, that as opposed to saying, oh, the, and I've had insurance companies even come to task with, you know, a dog had a mastal tumor three years ago and now it's got osteosarcoma and they call it all cancer, which of course that's not that's not the same disease, but they say, well, we only paid, we were, your dog's already had cancer, and so yeah. they won't pay for the next condition. So you've got to be really, really careful about that with the insurance. I guess like with any insurance, but, um, and I would say talk to your veterinarian because that who, that's who knows the good insurance mm-hmm. companies because we deal with them all the time. And so, um, but yeah, I mean, if anyone's listening and has a young dog, like, please get the insurance for your pet because yeah. it will just make... It'll just make it it's so much easier. It's so much, it's hard enough to be talking about cancer and, and decisions about staging and surgery. Um, if you can take that one stressor off of the plate, um, it can make, you know, just make it a lot easier for you. Oh, I, I would totally agree. You know, our, our dog was uh, hospitalized about a month ago. Um, he had some, some respiratory sounds that didn't sound right, and we took him to the ER, and, and when they were... It, giving us the estimates for everything, you know, I could tell the vet was kind of a little hesitant about mentioning the cost. And I said, we have pet insurance. This will be covered. And she said, oh, good. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And you could just tell. There was like this relief that came over her. And then the conversation just totally flowed after that. And, And there was really great communication. So I, we learned the hard way. We had a dog who had osteosarcoma that didn't have pet insurance and boy that that changed our tune real quick so our our current dog does you know he is benefiting from that and that uh he turned out to have aspiration pneumonia (laughs) oh no yeah but you know what he he recovered fine but a day and a half in the hospital forty five hundred dollars after staging and and you know all the diagnostics and lab work and and antibiotics alone were close to six hundred dollars for him wow just for the ones we went home with so, yeah, I, you know, I, I can't even imagine having a, a dog without insurance now. But anyways, we are totally off topic. Um, <laughs> I know it's, kind of a, it's kind of part of the topic, but I, I love talking to you. Um, real quick, uh, I know we, we uh, said we'd do 30 minutes, so um, we should wrap it up now. But um, tell us a little bit more about um, how uh, are you looking for, for patients? Are you and this other doctor in Idaho, are you going to be looking for patients? Should we put the word out? Um, what is what are the next steps for all this? Yeah, so um, 
We're actually starting, just got approved. We're going to do a, a veterinary society of surgical oncology. So that's our, um, that's not a certifying body. That's just our, our group of surgeons and veterinarians. Um, everyone who's interested in surgical oncology, we have, we have medical oncologists and radiation oncologists and pathologists that are part of our group. Um, and we do, we do research together. And so we just got approved to do a prospective study. Um, and basically we want, you know, any surgical oncologists who are interested in doing this procedure um, and have patients and, and clients that are interested in, in this procedure um, to, to kind of collect the information together. So, so that we don't have, you know, sometimes the paper comes out and you've got someone in Australia doing it and someone in Idaho and someone in Canada and someone in the States. We want to make sure that we're all communicating and that we're keeping track of how these dogs are doing mm-hmm. and also that we can learn from each other. You know, I don't think it's perfect right now. I, I think there's some things that is, you know, one thing in particular is like when you have a dog, you take out a portion of their bone and you bring all the soft tissues together, the skin kind of uh, gets all wrinkled up, if that makes sense. That's a very technical <laughs> term, but I think there's probably a better way to deal with it. And I think working with other surgeons is a way to kind of solve that and, and figure that out. And so, um, you know, I would say going forward, it is a published technique. It's not, it's not an experimental procedure, but it's a new, it's a new limb spread procedure. Um, we kind of know the complication rate for an endoprosthesis limb spare. It's very high. I'm hoping um, that this would be lower, uh, significantly lower is my hope. Um, but I would say just talk to your surgeon. Um, if anyone's in the Toronto area, I'll, I'll be uh, working at 404 starting in about four weeks, uh, depending on when this is put out there. But if February 12th, I start there. Um, it's a referral center just outside of Toronto. I'm very excited to join them. Um, it's part of VCA Canada. Um, and, I, and also, you know, we can help get people to centers where there are surgical oncologists or orthopedic surgeons who are doing this procedure. Awesome. Thank you so much. This is, this is really exciting. We're going to be uh, writing about this and helping to, to get the word out. Um, we can't thank you enough, Dr. Boston, for everything you're doing for, for the health of our, our pets with cancer. You, you are amazing, and you're, you're, you're an angel. Thank you for, for all your oh, hard work. Thank you for having me. Thanks, and, thanks for everything you guys do. I, uh, uh, you're a great source for my clients, so I appreciate that. Ah, you're the best. Well, hey, um, we will uh, we will talk soon, and I, I think we're going to call this the, the end of our show now. Thank you so much. Okay. All right. Happy. Yes, thank you again, Dr. Boston, and thanks so much for the work you're doing. We are honored to share your new procedure with the Tripods community. Listeners can read our review of your book, Lucky Dog, at Amazon.tripods.com. Until next time. Join the discussion about pet cancer and amputation for dogs and cats, or share your own story with a free blog at tripods.com. Until next time on Tripod Talk Radio, learn more about canine amputation recovery and find the best gear for three-legged dogs at tripods.com. Thank you for tuning in. Subscribe to Tripod Talk Radio for more pet amputation tips from experts. And claim your free gift just for listeners at downloads.tripods.com slash podcast.